There are no wasted words or lines in the Gospels. The evangelists, they faithfully write down what they do for the sake of our salvation as they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting to consider that one of the things that they do often in their writing is they offer us a picture of where Jesus is when he's doing certain things. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but looking at the different uh, geography of where Jesus is in a particular situation, it, it matters. Why does it matter? Because it informs what we're, uh, what he's doing. Unlike any other of us, Jesus didn't happen to be in a place. He always knew where he was and he always uh, chose where he was for its particular purpose. So over the course of Lent, I want to ask that question over and over again each week. I want to ask, where is Jesus? Where is Jesus as we uh, begin Lent? Uh, and where is Jesus in the middle of Lent? And where is Jesus at the end of Lent and at Easter? Where is Jesus in today's gospel? This gospel of the temptation of the Lord. You know, uh, if you remember in the Psalms, it talks about how Jerusalem is a city on a hill. It is Mount Zion. Now, this, this is a Texas-style mountain, so it's not very high. But uh, it says that Jesus was led by the, des by the, by the Spirit into the wilderness. And this happens right after the Gospels recounting of Jesus' baptism. So it's likely that it was near that place. Where was the baptism taking place? Well, it's close to Jerusalem, close to the city of Jericho, actually, uh, which is a little bit uh, away from, from, uh, from Jerusalem, but it's down the hill of Mount Zion. It's down low. In fact, it's in one of the lowest, most deserted places in the world, or it was before all the tourists came. It's near the Dead Sea. And so, friends, Jesus is led down to the lowest part. Why does he go to the lowest part to be tempted? Because he enters the lowest part of our human experience, the part that maybe is the most um, challenging for us, the, the part where we prefer not to think of. Uh, he goes out to do battle. And entering into our human experience, he, he conquers. And his example of conquering temptation strengthens us in three ways. He strengthens us in particular by warning us of temptation, by giving us an example to follow, and then by making sure we know that he's with us whenever we're tempted. So let's look at those a little bit more deeply. Jesus is tempted in order that we might know that we also would will be tempted. Sometimes we think that if we're holy, if we're following Jesus, that we shouldn't experience any type of temptation. But friends, if the God-man, the holiest person to ever walk the planet was tempted, we're kidding ourselves if we think that somehow, because we become holy, we our temptations will evaporate. In fact, it's probably the case that as we become holier, as we become more like Jesus, we might become more aware of the temptations that we're facing. The devil delights in the corruption of the best. And those temptations that he offers us, they can be to lower carnal things or to the highest forms of spiritual pride based on our own personal proclivities. 
But regardless of what they are, like we should expect them. We should expect that there's going to be temptation in our spiritual life. And we should also expect that as we are following Jesus, it might get harder. It might get more difficult. Now, that seems counterintuitive, but, you know, the devil is real and he hates you. He does not want you to become holy. Only a man who stands against the full force of wind understands, uh, only a man who's standing against it understands the full force of the wind. And that's true with temptation as well. The fear of temptation is not felt strongly except when resisted. Remember the story of the Exodus where uh, it's when Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go, that he redoubles their, uh, their forced labor. He makes them work even harder. So Jesus, he enters into temptation to warn us that it is coming, that it's part of our human experience and we shouldn't be surprised even if we're following him. And in that temptation, he also gives us an example to follow. If in Christ we've been tempted, says St. Augustine, in him we overcome the devil. Do you think only of Christ's temptations and fail to think of his victory? See yourself as tempted in him and see yourself as victorious in him. He could have kept the devil from himself, but if he were not tempted, he couldn't teach you how to triumph over temptation. Now, Jesus teaches us a lot about how to resist temptation, how to resist sin in our lives. But the first thing that's most obvious from all of the temptation accounts is this, that you don't negotiate with the devil. That when you're tempted, when sin is knocking at your door, you don't parlay with it. You don't negotiate, you don't talk to him, especially with your own words. Rather, you take every means, natural and supernatural, at your disposal, and you use them to fight. You resist from the first, and that's so important. Now, about, among those means, and this seems so simple, but among those means is ordinary prudence, what your grandma would have called common sense, right? It sounds like this. If you don't want to eat chips, don't go down the chip aisle at HEB. If you gave up ice cream for Lent, don't go down the ice cream aisle and look in the case and say, man, that bluebell looks really, really good. Or drive through the uh, the uh, the Dairy Queen and say, man, I really want that blizzard right now, but I'm not going to eat it. I'm just going to smell it. Right? <laughs> These are comical ways of thinking of it, but let's get a little more serious. If you know that every time you have a phone in a private area in your house, you're tempted to look at things that are not good for you or others, don't take your phone into a private area. If you know you struggle to give things up, you struggle with avarice, make a plan for giving. Decide how to do that now. If you struggle to love people that are forgiven them, if you hold on to grudges and, teach, and intentionally seek to do them good by praying for them, pause this video and do that right now. You know, we have to fill our mind also with those things which are good, true, and beautiful. Above all, through scripture and prayer, through being with Jesus. These ordinary means, they can't be abandoned. Sometimes we think we have to have like the perfect rosary or something like that in order to, to fight against temptation, but that's just not the way it works. The ordinary means are the normal ways that we go about growing in holiness. To call on the name of the Lord 
presumes an attitude of repentance and humility. To call upon the Lord, but then to disobey God's instructions in the common sphere is absurd. God wants us to use our reason, enlightened by his grace, to fight against temptation. Is this difficult? Yeah, you betcha. It's not easy. Will it involve suffering? Very likely. Will it feel like dying sometimes? Yeah, Jesus says, anyone who wishes to come after me must pick up his cross and follow me. That's what it means. And Jesus then was tempted to show us how to resist temptation, for it's worth it to be with him, to be like him. You know, finally, in his temptation, Jesus assures us that he's with us in those moments that we face a temptation towards sin. He knows what it's like to be tempted, in other words, and he's with us in our temptations. The evil one tempts us to think that we'll die if we don't give in to the temptation that he sets before our eyes. He tempts us to believe that God has abandoned us somehow. On the cross, we see an expression of this feeling as Jesus cries out to the Father, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? The Lord is not a stranger to that feeling of abandonment. That feeling, and I emphasize that word feeling of abandonment. For that psalm ends with joy. It begins with that feeling, but it ends with a recognition, not of a change of circumstances, but a recognition that God will powerfully bring to fulfillment that which he's begun. St. Augustine <clears throat> says that the one who cries from the ends of the earth is in anguish, but is not left on his own. That's what the story of Noah that we heard in the first reading teaches us. God promises not that there won't be catastrophes, in our lives, but that there will never again be a total catastrophe. Even death itself cannot separate us from the love of God. St. Paul talks about that in Romans. He promises to remain with us, to be with us. And it's so important to recognize that while our feelings are important, they're not indicative of reality all the time. They always show our perception of reality. But so often we believe our feelings tell us whether we're close or far from God. But feeling close or far from God, feeling joy or sorrow, that's not an indication of holiness or of its lack. It's what we choose in the moral realm that matters. Too often we allow ourselves to become tricked into acting merely from our feelings. In the darkest, most challenging moments, you're not alone, friend. He is with you, strengthening you, warning you of the danger, showing you how to resist, and above all, suffering with you. Will you trust him? That's the real question. You know, if you want to turn to him, if there's something in your life that's keeping you from him, if there's something in your life that's making you miserable, if there's something in your life that is causing a lot of suffering, I implore you to turn to him right now, to decide, I want to follow you, Jesus. And you can do that right now in whatever space you find yourself in. He's present and he desires to help you to turn from those things that lead you into sin. I want you to pray right now with me. Pray that he would help you to turn away from sin and repent and to be with him, and to be like him, that he would send his Holy Spirit down upon us. I'm gonna give you a moment to do that right after I finish this video, right? And I'll start off just by praying and I encourage you to take as much time as you need to ask God for help because he does help us. He gives us his grace. He desires our good. He came that we might have life, and he was tempted in the lowest place of the earth.
that when we that we would know that when we cry out in our hearts to him he will help us conquer and so let's pray jesus we thank you for this day we thank you for all that you've given us we thank you for the many gifts that you grant us and we ask that you would pour down your holy spirit upon us right now give us a gift of being convicted of our sins of desiring to please you in all things Lord, we know that there are areas in our lives that are not not in conformity with the with the way that you would have us live they are not in conformity with the flourishing to which you call us and we ask now individually that you would help us turn from sin be faithful to you to believe in the good news that you would help us to repent and to believe in the gospel and so we bring those things to you now